0: This hour in the time of history to truly understand the meaning of that song. And Lord, I pray here today that you would grant me the power of your spirit, that the words that I Heart and the meaning behind the words of this song. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me now. This I pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. Please stand with me and have your pew Bible. Please turn page ten ninety six. Few short scriptures. Um, let us begin. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption, and let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaiming, proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The grass withers, the flowers fade. You may be seated. As we have mentioned a few times already, according to the church calendar, this day is called Palm Sunday. Some would say Passion Sunday which is the first day of the Holy Week, the Sunday before the Resurrection Sunday of what we call Easter, commemorating Jesus Christ rising from the grave by defeating physical death and the power of sin. I know Michael mentioned it in the announcements, but I want to re-encourage you again This coming Good Friday to invite your friends, your neighbors, and family members to our second annual annual Good Friday service. Good Friday is a day that we as Christians, we mourn, we reflect. It's a day of sadness in many respects. It's a day where the God-man takes on our sins. The day where he was crucified, he was flogged, he was beating unrecognizable. Had nails in his wrists, in his feet, he was put on a cross. This all took place, what they call the place of the skull, or I like to say Galgatha, which is in the Aramaic term. The Latin word is Calvary. I want you to think about that as I move along in my sermon today. I'm asking the Lord to, to arrest our hearts, and you'll see why here as I move along. According to the four gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John Jesus came into Jerusalem he was riding on a donkey for, for which no one had ever written before with palm branches being placed on the road by people and him riding on this donkey was a sign of peace and a sacrifice according to the prophecy In Zechariah 9, verse 10. And Jesus, knowing what would come about only a few days later, as the people shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You see that in Matthew 21, verse 9. Hosanna is the Hebrew term means to save us. Save us, Jesus. Liberate us. Give us favor. They shouted. The Son of David's statement was, was referencing that Jesus is the long awaited deliverer, the Messiah. And the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies that God had prophesied in Genesis three, that he was going to send the Messiah, born of a woman, of a virgin. We know that story. But we see here today in our text, Apostle Paul, In his first message, in Acts 13, verse 36 and 38, he makes reference to this Jesus as the son of David, who God raised up from the lineage of David. And Paul says, he did not see corruption, which means Jesus' victory over sin and death. Thus signifying that Jesus is the unique begotten Son of God. You see that from Paul. If things would have kept going on this week, I would be preaching from Acts 14 today. But if it was not for the gentle prompting and directing of the Holy Spirit on my heart, Early in the week. Part of my process as a preacher, I'm always inquiring, God, I'm, I'm not you. Um, if it was up to me, I probably not would not even be a pastor. And because I am, I have no idea what you want me to preach on. And I know Acts 14 is up. And um, so speak to your servant. I listen. And the Holy Spirit gently prompted me to come back to these verses here today. Which are the closing remarks from Apostle Paul in his first recorded sermon, which came about in his first recorded missionary journey. And I really sensed the Lord saying to me this week that we are living in a time as Christians where many of his children are very deceived as as it relates to the consequences of sin and the devastating impact it is having in our lives with our children, our grandchildren, our families, and in our communities. The people who were 2,000 years ago, who were laying down these palm branches as Jesus rode on a donkey, were shouting, Hosanna, save us, liberate us, deliver us. That's what they were asking Jesus. But they were really asking Jesus to save them from the political oppression of the Romans. And not the oppression from sin in their own hearts. Passed down from our great, 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 great great grandfather, Adam. That we find in Genesis. Jesus, save us. Save us from the Romans. They are bad people. Save us from this or that. They were not clamoring for Jesus to save them from their sins. I'm going to come back to that. Brothers and sisters, our view of sin, it truly does impact our view of Jesus. How you view Jesus here today, how you think about your sin, how you approach your boyfriend or your girlfriend in premarital sex, it has a lot to do with what you think about Jesus. Your gossiping, your lying, how you look at that, it impacts how you feel. I want to put my first slide up, Joe. Um, Chad has been using this in our identity in the gospel. Um, it talks about how on Wednesday nights we've been walking in identity in the gospel. And I would, as pastor, you know, just be very sensitive here. I would say that most of the people view Jesus as flatline. Your view the your sin is it's not growing in the awareness of the holiness of God. Which makes Palm Sunday and why Jesus would endure this suffering the way he did. Because we truly don't understand what Jesus was really after. Some of you think he came to die. just said You can get a better job and get a bigger house. Because that's typically what most preachers are preaching today. It's all over your YouTube. You turn it on. It's about you getting a bigger house, a bigger car, and making a lot of money. And those things, Jesus know they're important. But trust me, brothers and sisters, that's not why he endured that suffering. That's not why he took nails in his hand and it was beaten so that you could get a big house, which you will one day die and leave to somebody else. That's a little short-sighted. But though the average preacher, that's what you will hear. And so most Christians today, Notice their conversion across this stays the same. Not a whole lot of change in how you view Jesus. And so I want to. Um, we're talking about the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to come back to forgiveness. But you really don't understand forgiveness until you really understand this thing called sin. And one of the things that the Lord just prompted me. Um, Son, um, don't be so quick to be in a hurry. I'm not rushing you through the book of Acts. I want you to stop and see that. I'm bringing to you a lot of baby Christians. They don't know what you think they know. And I'm going to hold you accountable, Alton. I know you didn't ask if you're a preacher. As I'm telling my biography, one of the things I realized, man, I know I'm going to I'm a miracle because I was like, man, this is really, a, is God. And so God says, understand that. And just hear my voice as I've called you in this season to lead um, with the elders of this church. So I want to show a video that's going to take about five minutes to understand what sin is. I think this video will do a better job than me explaining I'll come behind it and give some more practical applications of it. So Joe, show the video here from Project Bible. This is also in your resources that Michael has sent out. Here we go.
1: And that's true. It's also true that the Bible's vocabulary about this topic... Most people assume the Bible has a lot to say about how messed up humans are, and that's true. It's also true that the Bible's vocabulary about this topic sounds odd to modern people, using words like sin, iniquity, or transgression. And so the Bible's perspective on the human condition is often ignored or treated as ancient and backwards. This is really unfortunate because through these words, the biblical authors are offering us a deeply profound diagnosis of human nature. Iniquity describes behavior that's crooked, while transgression refers to breaking trust. And sin, this is actually the most common of these bad words in the Bible. So let's focus on it for a few minutes. Sin translates the Hebrew word chata and the Greek word hamartia. The most basic meaning of sin isn't religious at all. Chata simply means to fail or miss the goal. Like when the Israelite tribe of Benjamin trained a small army of slingshot experts, they could sling a stone at a hare and not chata. That is, fail or miss. Or there's a biblical proverb that warns against making hasty decisions because you're likely to chata your way, miss your destination. So in the Bible, sin is a failure to fulfill a goal. But what's the goal? Well, on page one of the Bible, we learn that every human is an image of God, a sacred being who represents the Creator and is worthy of respect. And so in this way of seeing the world, sin is a failure to love God and others by not treating them with the honor they deserve. You can see this idea in the famous code of conduct given to the Israelites, the Ten Commandments. Half of them identify ways you can fail at loving God, And the other half name ways you can fail at loving people. And the fact that both kinds of failure are combined shows that failing to honor God is deeply connected to failing to honor people. This is why in the Bible, sin against people is sin against God. Like when Joseph refuses to sleep with the wife of Potiphar, he says, how could I sin against God? In Joseph's mind, failing to honor a human made in God's image is a failure to love God. And so sin is a failure to be truly human. But there's more. A fascinating thing about sin in the Bible is that most of the time that people are failing, they either don't know it, or even worse, they think they're succeeding. Like when Pharaoh wants to build Egypt's economy and protect national security. In his mind, this justifies enslaving the Israelites. He thinks it's good, and he's totally unaware that it's an epic fail. Or when King Saul is chasing David around the wilderness trying to kill him. He thought he was bringing a criminal to justice until he realizes he's the corrupt one. And he says, I have sinned, I am the failure. So sin is about more than just doing bad things. It describes how we easily deceive ourselves and spin illusions to redefine our bad decisions as good ones. So why are humans such bad judges between moral failure and success? Well, the first appearance of the word sin in the Bible offers an insight. There are these two brothers, Cain and Abel. Their parents had just given in to this beastly temptation to redefine good and evil by their own wisdom, and now Cain is faced with a similar choice. He's jealous and angry that God has favored his brother, and so God warns him, if you don't choose what is good, Chata is crouching at the door. It wants you, but you can rule over it. So in these stories, sin, or moral failure, is depicted as this wild, hungry animal that wants to consume humans, And we know how that story ends. The Bible is trying to tell us that failed human behavior, our tendency towards self-deception, it runs deep. It's rooted in our desires and selfish urges that compel us to act for our own benefit at the expense of others. And it leads to this chain reaction of relational breakdown. This is why in the New Testament, the apostle Paul describes hamartia as a power or a force that rules humans. In his words, we are slaves to sin. He even says, sin lives in us, so that the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. So with the word sin, the biblical authors are offering a robust description of the human condition. It's a failure to be humans who fully love God and others. It's our inability to judge whether we're succeeding or failing. And it's that deep, selfish impulse that drives much of our behavior. This is not a pretty picture of ourselves, but if we're honest, it's realistic. This is why in the Bible, the story of Jesus is such good news. He's depicted as the creator become a truly human one who did not fail to love God and others. That is, he did not sin. And yet, he took responsibility for humanity's history of failure. He lived for others and he died for their sin. And he was raised from the dead to offer them the gift of his life that covers for their failures. Or in the words of the apostles, he committed no sin, yet he carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to our sin.
0: But I wanted you to get a good, comprehensive understanding of sin. It has corrupted all of our natures. Even today how we are interacting with one another, your wives, your husbands, your children, your moms, your grandmoms. And so here's a book, I, um, another resource for those of you who wants to be, um, go further in your understanding of sin and how and what you see in your community, what you see in your family, every person that's in your family that's on drugs, sin. So we like to use the word mistakes But the word mistake you won't find in the Bible. The Bible calls it sin. Every addicted person in your family is because of sin. Every alcoholic. Every murderer. So Cornelius Plannica Jr. He calls this book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. Talking about what sin has done. All the hundreds of thousands of kids being born to single parents with no loving father and mother raising them together, it's not the way it's supposed to be. You can celebrate it all you want, the consequences are just there to show you how those children turn out in our world. Not good. You hear Pastor heard clamoring about it because. Of And this is what he talks about in this book. A bravery, bribery of sin. A few excerpts from it. He says: the whole range of human miseries, from restlessness and estrangement through shame and guilt to the agonies of daytime television, all of them tell us the things that are in human life are not as they ought to be: annoyance, regrets, miseries, trouble. Us in all the old familiar ways, but none of these troubles matters as much as sin. The reason is that sin distorts our character, a central feature of our very humanity. Sin corrupts powerful human capacities, thought, emotion, speech, and act, so that they become centers of attack on others. or of a defection or, or, or neglect. Bad enough if we offend others involuntarily by boorish insensitivity to their feelings, for example, or by alleviating <laughs> forms a complacency, he says, skip down. He says, sin, moreover, lies at the root of such big miseries as loneliness, restlessness. You feeling an here this morning? Shame and a sense of meaninglessness. This is a second reason why sin is the main human trouble. In fact, sin typically both causes and results from misery. A father who sexually abuses his daughter corrupts her. He breaks all the little bones of her self-respect that holds her character together. Filled with shame and anger at her treacherous father and conniving mother, grieving for her lost and innocent self, the corrupted child is extremely likely to abuse her children or to assault her central nervous system with large quantities of alcohol, or to make and break one trickery marriage after another. Moreover, the veins of sin interlace through most of the rest of what is wrong in our lives. Through birth disorders, disease, accident, and newsome. Thousands of third world children die daily from largely preventable diseases out of laziness or complacency. Certain grown-ups fail to prevent them. Thousands of the first world children are born to drug addicts. Their mothers have hooked them in the womb. Some people with sexually transmitted diseases normally put new partners at terrible risk. It happens every single day. Many accidents are in re- retrospect, both accidental and predictable, somebody who needed to concentrate on his job in order to protect others a pilot for example or a lifeguard or a ship's captain got drunk instead or careless or wholly preoccupied often a number of such factors combine in some lethal and intricate way to bring havoc to the human well-being sin is a disruption of created harmony, and then resistance to divine restoration of that harmony. Above all, sin disrupts and resists the vital human relation to God, and it does all this disrupting and resisting in a number of intertwined ways, says Cornelius. And I can go on and on. We see it every day. We saw it all play out this week with a 28-year-old woman who considered herself to be a male shoot innocent children in Nashville this week. Here's what the world's going to tell you. mental disease. The Bible never uses that term. Piper causes sin disease. I always ask people, why do people with mental diseases always do bad things? How come they can't do good things, like go love children? Why does it always turns out when people have mental diseases, it always leads to murder and mayhem, bad things? But we saw it play out. Well, in our text today. We see Paul preaching to us in verse 38 and 39. Paul says, he says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes. Everyone who believes, Pisterio, puts their confidence in Jesus. I am, I am so amazed by people who really don't read the Bible, who have very little church attendance. All my elders, stand up for a second. Stand up. Elders, do all of you struggle with doubt and disbelief of God's word at times? Do you all read and read your Bible every day and pray every day? These are elders who are called the shepherd. You can have your seat here at Urban Hope. They struggle with their faith. They read their Bible every day. We pray all the time. And I am often bewildered by people who don't read their Bible, who are not in church. How is it that you have a robust faith And what I'm about to share and understand that your sins have been forgiven. I preach this stuff, and on Monday mornings, you would call me, I'm doubting the very thing that I just preached. And I have community around me. So how is it that people can have such a robust faith in this one that Paul is proclaiming? That you believe. Put your trust and confidence in, Paul says. That he has freed you from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The Ten Commandments. The law of Moses. Paul says in Galatians 3.24, he says, Therefore the law has become our tutor, our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But the law does. It can't deliver you from the power of sin. It can only tell you what's wrong with you. The law says, I am not the answer. I'm just going to point it out. Yes, you're bad. Yes, you're a fornicator. Yes, you're a liar. Yes, you're a cheat. Yes, you are all those things and much more. I am not the answer. Look to him. Who? Jesus. Him on the cross. Put your eyes on him. Study him. Meditate on his words of him. Jesus, he is the answer. So the law says, look to him. I'm not the answer. I can't free you. I can only tell you. I can't free you up. I can't give you the power that you want to get over sin. I can only tell you how bad you are. Paul says in Romans 8.3, Referencing the law of Moses, he says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son. As a sacrifice for our sins. Joe, you can put the last slide up. Um, um, Talked about the forgiveness of sins. But we can't really understand forgiveness the right way until you understand how truly bad we are. How we are all missing the mark. And this is what this diagram shows. You come in and the cross gets bigger. What's happening? You're seeing the bigness of God and his holiness and his rightful way. And so when you understand Jesus came into Jerusalem knowing full well that he was going to be beaten for our gossiping. You know, gossiping destroys relationships in churches. People just can't keep their mouth shut. Telling things they shouldn't tell. Dividing up people. That's a serious sin that Proverbs talks about all the time. A gossiper will separate the closest of friends. Saying one thing to one person, saying another thing to another. It's called gossiping. Jesus died for the gossipers. And this diagram shows... You come in, you say, the cross is small, but the more you walk with him, you see who you really are, the cross becomes bigger to us. And so I have here a question for us, as I'm coming to a close. How does the cross become big to us? That's a great question. And why does it stay small for some people? It becomes big to us when we acknowledge our deep sinfulness and brokenness to the God-man who died on the cross for us, who took on all of our shame and guilt for us. That's how today you you say, God, I can't fake it no more. I'm going to be real honest. And this is why I say God is, he's the God-man. He knows everything about you. He sees every sin you do before you even perform it. He sees you going to your girlfriend's house, knowing you, knowing here, I shouldn't sleep with her. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do drugs. All the things we, the Holy Spirit said, don't do it. And we do it anyhow. God knows that. Don't pay no attention to that. He knows that. He says, come to me. I'm the only one. The only one. That's why I came. The cross becomes bigger. It gets bigger. As I get older, and this is the honest truth, I saw Pastor. I told some young people around me the other day as I get older, the more I realize sin never told me the truth, it always lied to me. As you get older, you see the consequences of it in your children's lives. Many of you know I come from a divorce, me and Sandra. I see the impact that, that divorce had on my children. Though I'm married, Sandra, we've had a beautiful marriage, but it just, it hurt my children. My daughter went from a regular sized baby; she gained a lot of weight. And I remember we took her to the counselor. He says this is a result of di- parents divorcing. That's called sin. And my daughter's still big to this day. And I, I can remember, it. that's what sin does. It impacts us. It's consequences to sin. You may not understand this now, but when you get older, you're going to say, as you, as you get ready to face the Lord, as you get ready to go into the other side, you will, man, all the illicit relationships. You start to realize that sin is devastating. That when Jesus comes to die, he's not dying for good people. He's dying for broken people who acknowledge that we are broken. We sin. Every time we look at porn, I was listening to a priest on YouTube this week, and he was talking about, he does a lot of exorcisms, and he was talking about every time we sin in the spirit world, it is the demons are saying, sin, that's how they hurt God. They want us to sin. God would never tempt you to sin. That's always Satan. And his demons, he says, sin, sin, do this, do this. Sin, 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 and keep sinning. And then not to have any conscience about it. But for us, we want that. Become aware of God's holiness. That he was perfect. And so as we come to the table today, The Lord's Supper is a call to remember. To remember what? To remember the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of Christ demonstrated at the cross 2,000 years ago. Paul tells us in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Paul, tell us as we come to the table, page 1139 in the Lord's Supper, Paul says about this forgiveness. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed Stop comes into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. What they're asking for is free us up from the Romans, Jesus. It's out there. Because Jesus is not talking about saving them from that. They flip on him. Now they say crucify him. And Paul says, on the night that he was betrayed that includes us all here today are we asking the Lord to save us from out there problems or are we asking the Lord to save us from in here problems so in the night he was betrayed by humanity because he didn't give them the outward blessings that they were longing for they said crucify him crucify him We don't want him now. Crucify him. Beat him. Spit on him. Slap him. Flog him. Kick him. Beat Jesus to a pulp. I said, Lord, why are you enduring that? That's why you have to reflect on that. Why? Because he knew that what my issues would be was going to be my sin issues. And they beat him. And they all betrayed him. And someone would think, well, I wouldn't have done that. Chesapeake would have. We do it all the time. See, on the night that he was betrayed, all of his disciples left him. Except for John. And Paul says, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. And do this in remembrance of me. This is my body that was bruised and beaten for you, nails put in my hands for you. Because I love you so much. And I want you to see, yes, I'm holy. I am majestic. I am pure love. I am pure light. And when you come into my presence, you will be able to see all of the darkness because in him, there is no darkness at all. He's pure love, pure light, pure holiness. Even when the angels see him, they cry out, holy God, holy, because he's he's holy. But as you grow in this understanding that he came to love you, to pull you out of your selfishness, yourself, you, 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 and to pull you into being a true human, to being like him. And so he says, my body, it was beaten for you. And he says, this is my body, which is for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. See, the song we're singing, it was the blood. It was the blood. It's, it's, you have this gospel, that's what Chad keeps saying. You get, you never outgrow it. It's, it's God's love, is amazing. And Jesus said, it was my blood that was shed for you. God, man. He says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Elders, prepare yourself to come as I pray and bless these elements. Father, we ask that you would, by the power of your spirit as we come, today to receive this gospel of grace sacrament that reminds us of how amazing your love is and how you reminds us to That this forgiveness that we have of our sins is truly a forgiveness. Lord, I know for me when I'm feeling overwhelmed by the consequences of my sin, sometimes I don't want to get out of the bed when I think about my children. But you remind me that, uh, as Paul says, um, you love me and your love for me don't go away because my children don't act accordingly. And, Lord, there are people here in this room today, Lord, they see the consequences of their sins, of their parents' sins, and they are loaded down with guilt and shame. I pray you renew them, Lord, in their faith here today and help them to leave this place, Lord, not saying I don't want sin because I love Jesus, and he was beaten for me, and he's given me the power over sin. Lord, help us to believe that. Bless us now.